0: thank you for listening to the sermon podcast for Salem Heights Church we meet weekly at 9 and 11 a.m For more information visit salemheightschurch.org man aren't you glad to be here this morning yeah you know I'm thankful for uh, the crew it it's been such a long time since we've had a, a choir Sunday, and for some of you that haven't, uh, didn't maybe grow up in church, uh, some of those sounds or the style of the music may not sound familiar, but there's a few folks in here, I'm confident, who uh, that brought back his kind of old home moments, right? And uh, a feel, there's a memory there that's attached to those words, so I'm so thankful for mornings like this. I'm also thankful, by the way, uh, we've got some uh, shouters, clappers, ameners. Are you thankful for that? Yeah? May God increase increase their tribe. I know also some of you uh, are feelers. That's also appropriate. I just want us to know that it's okay to respond. When we hear stuff like he's risen from the grave and our hope is secure, it's okay to shout a little, all right? As a side note, that's free, it's not even in uh, our text this morning, so uh, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11, Hebrews chapter 11, and as you're turning there, I do want you to, sometimes uh, you're completely dialed in when you're listening to the Salem Heights today, sometimes I know you're uh, looking around for your breath mint uh, or a snack for later on, Uh, I don't want you to miss that Tuesday night is our prayer and praise time. And uh, if you have not been to one of those, they have been profound times of worship, prayer, praise, uh, connection. They've been family times. And this week, in particular, we're taking time to pray for students that are coming in, students and their families. I don't know if you're aware of this. Just take a look around, read the news for a moment. Don't do it all week, okay? You'll just get depressed and overwhelmed. But check out what it is that they're facing, some of the things that they have to deal with when they go into schools, when they're just turning on their phones so that you can have their location and know where they're at. They're in danger. And one of the things that I want you to understand is that faith right now, gets born inside the heart of an individual as they respond to Christ, right? Amen. You and I are not the Holy Spirit. But the world also does not have more power than God. Amen? Amen. It doesn't have more power. And so we're gonna pray for them that they would stay faithful, that they would respond to the gospel, that they would um, stay faithful all of their lives. We have amazing stories sitting in this room of people who lived tragic lives, made horrible decisions, and God found them and brought them safely home. That's a praise, amen? But we also have some miracles, and very few of you lift that up, of people who stayed faithful from the time that they were little kids. Do you even believe that's possible? How great would it be if we had an auditorium full someday of people who said, praise God that I didn't have to go that far off the road to know that he is the Savior. And we're praying that these kids will have a voice in our culture, but not submit to it, not submit to the culture. Come on Tuesday, pray for these families, pray for these students, uh, join us as a church, but make Tuesday a priority this week, all right? That's my... uh, That's my story, we're gonna start there. Hebrews chapter 11, we've been in a series right now in the book of Hebrews, uh, and the author has been laboring. The author who we uh, made a case for at the beginning is Luke. You can believe it's somebody else, it's okay to be wrong. Uh, Here is this author of Hebrews, and he has been doing an amazing job of highlighting the beauty of Christ. Uh, He's not just an individual. He's not just a man. He is greater than the angels. He's greater uh, than any of the former leaders. All of their prophets and everyone are subject to him. He's making the case as he walks through the book of Hebrews that not only is he greater than, not only is he God that came in the form of man, but he is a high priest Somebody who is so concerned about your standing before God that he gave his own life in order for you to have a right standing with the living God. And he not only gave his life, he didn't say, oh man, there, I did the hard stuff. I'm going to go on vacation now, retire. He doesn't do that. He lives to make intercession for us. This is the Jesus he's been highlighting. We come to... What are the the wrap-up section? Chapters 11, 12, and 13 in the book of Hebrews, and the author believes that he has made his case. Now he's just settling you into what does that mean. Chapter 11 is highlighting some proofs. This is what it means to live by faith. If you really believe in Jesus Christ, it does not mean that you get everything at once. Okay? You don't get eternity right now or we wouldn't be here. For sure you wouldn't be listening to me. You'd have your eyes on Christ. You'd be connected with him. But we're here right now because there is still something future. That's what scripture highlights. And so he's going to tell you why should you in these hard times stay faithful to that God in this season even though it seems like it's getting harder. Let's stand and read just the first five verses and I'll tell you why in a moment. Hebrews chapter 11. It says, now faith is the reality is what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. For by this our ancestors were approved. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen is made from things that are not visible. By faith Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was approved as a righteous man because God approved his gifts. Even though he's dead, he still speaks through his faith. By faith, Enoch was taken away, so he did not experience death. He was not to be found because God took him away. Before he was taken away, he was approved as one who pleased God. Verse 6, just listen to this. Now, without faith, it is impossible to please God, since the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Do you believe that's true? Maybe seated. Because we're going to cover this entire chapter, and I know that seems like a lofty goal, um, we're not going to be able to dig into all of the details of this chapter, but I want us to. Uh, look over the surface. I believe it's something um, that will be unique. A description as we walk through this chapter of what the argument is that the author of Hebrews is making. You've heard all these truths about Jesus. Now he says, I want you to start to apply them in your life. As you begin to see the value of who he is, faith begins to settle into your soul. And he begins to describe to you, this is what it is you're experiencing as Faith gets realized. As you realize, oh, I believe that. And he starts with this statement. Now faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. For by this, our ancestors were approved. So far, he's got us, right? Faith, definition, reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. Okay, I think I can chew on that for a little bit. Verse three, he's like, okay, let's just, Put your understanding to the test right at the beginning. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen is made from things that are not visible. Insert screeching sound here, all right? If you were going to go out and ask the average person in the world, do you believe that God created the universe? What do you think they would say? Our world has vacillated between atheism and faith. Some call it agnosticism. It's been on the rise. We live in a part of the country where that um, agnosticism is very available. It's at the surface of things. But I'm going to say that agnosticism, I don't want to say that I know how it all began, has crept into the church he says, now faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. And by faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. A couple definitions, and I want to just tell you, it, it is reasonable to believe that God created the universe. Okay? It is reasonable. First thing I want you to see, now faith is the reality of what is hoped for. Um, first thing you need to understand, faith you put your faith in Jesus Christ, this is the faith that's inside you. Faith apprehends reality. That word confidence or reality of what is hoped for is a realization of the truth. That means uh, you're going along in your little steamship and you see off there in the fog something that looks a little bit darker than the rest of the fog, and eventually you realize, oh, that's an iceberg, and it should cause you to begin to make changes where you're at, right? Right? the realization of truth. You may not have seen it at the beginning, but out of the fog comes this reality. That is something that is not just real, but it demands a response. Faith is the apprehension of reality. You begin to look around uh, and you see what is true. Now I want you to hear this. Some people have twisted this idea of faith and they have said that if you have faith, you can make reality. You name it and claim it. That is not what scripture says. You can't demand that God make things happen. You respond to a God who is sovereign, amen? amen? If he's not in control, if you're the one that literally is turning the knob for my life, I am freaked out. <laughs> you're gonna take care of you and your family real well, your prayers, if, if God were to say yes to every single one of your prayers, would anybody else in the room get something? <laughs> or it be you, your family, your grocery list of things? We're not worried about the world. We're worried about ourselves. God's worried about us. Faith apprehends reality. It sees who he really is and that he's in control of it all. Second thing is faith forces you to deal with unseen, but consequential truth. It says now faith is the reality of what's hoped for. You have this realization, and it's the proof of what is not seen. Interesting word, proof there. It's translated other places in scripture, reproof. Have You ever reproved somebody? Yeah, if you've had children, you've had an opportunity to reprove some little creature. You're looking at them, you say, no, don't do that, right? And you're causing them to pay attention. Don't put your finger in the light socket. That'd be reproof. This is a bad idea. But you not only reprove them, you pull their chin towards you and you begin to explain to them, this is why this is a bad idea. Now, most of you have already you know, toddler-proofed your homes, but this is you speaking to your junior higher. This is why you don't do it and you pull their chin towards you. So faith is the realization that is true. And then allowing the Lord to grab you by the chin and pull you in and say, you need to hear this. You need to deal with these truths. The first test of whether or not we believe this is the creation of the universe. Here's what I want to ask you. What are the chances that the world that we live in just popped into existence? Um, Just a side note, I'm gonna use a couple of illustrations that are used by J. Warner Wallace. Uh, He does it far better than I do. On the back of your notes, there's a QR code. You can go, there's two different websites there that have all of these and way more uh, illustrations. They show you all of the proofs, not only for the existence of God, But how it is that you as a believer can stand secure in the idea that there not only is a God, but he's the creator of the world. Now, they have all kinds of different philosophies that get presented in there. I want to remind you, not everything that we show you, uh, am I going to stand behind every single thing every other person says? You, You wouldn't do that for me, okay? But where it agrees with Scripture, you need to run there. I just want you to see the proofs. There's a QR code there. I also want you to see attached in that QR code is just this week as I'm preparing this sermon, Science Magazine said, for 20 years we've been working on the problem I'm about to share with you. We don't have a solution um, that's good, but their solution is corny. What are the chances that the world we live in just popped into existence? Here's what scientists have found out. There are 30 different cosmological constants that have to be in place. Right now they know of 30. Originally, when Carl Sagan was writing uh, Cosmos, they thought at the most there was four. There's 30 cosmological constants. That is mathematical equations that have to be inserted into existence before life can exist, before anything in the universe sticks together. These 30 cosmological constants have to be moving in gear in constants. What are the chances that the strong nuclear force in the universe is just right? Strong nuclear force, um, uh, basically the, uh, the, the thing that keeps an atom together, the, the weight uh, that keeps things together. What are the chances that uh, your body stays together with just the right tension so you don't squeeze in on yourself? All right. Become a shrinky dink. (laughs) What are the chances? One in 10 to the 37. Now I start using numbers like that and you're like, oh, okay, that sounds neat. 37, that's not that big, right? What is that number? If I were to take, this right here is just $100 in dimes. Okay, that's just $100. If I were to take one red dime right now and drop it into this jar, shake it all up, all right? Blindfold you and have you pick it out of there, you would think your chances are pretty good of being able to fight it. That's not one to the 10 to the 37th. It's not even one 10 to the one. When you think about what it would take to find that one red dime, the chances of us getting this strong nuclear force the first time so that life can exist, that's just one of the 30, you would have to cover all of North America in dimes, all of North America covered from the top of Alaska down to the bottom of Mexico in dimes, you would then stack those dimes, every single dime stacked on top of it all the way to the moon, 200 and almost 90 miles, all right? Just for those of you that are gonna fact check me, that's around 21 billion, 500 million dimes (laughs) per stack. You then would do that one billion more times. Not kidding, this is the actual stat you now take that one red dime and you place that somewhere in that billion and you blindfold an individual and you say, you go grab that. That's the chance you have of having the strong nuclear force be just right for life to exist. In fact, the scientists say it this way, if you are off in your weight by a dime's weight, whenever you put all of life into existence, the beginning of the universe, if you're off by a dime's weight, none of us exist. Now they say, it's pretty evident, we popped into existence. What a lucky thing that that one dime was in its place. Okay? The second thing though, remember there's 30, I'm just gonna give you a couple. What are the chances that the mass density of the universe would be just right? Too big, once again, we would shrink back on ourselves because of the weight. Too little, we would expand at such a rate that everything would just dissipate. You might have matter but it would disappear off into the distance. It would run off. By the way, uh, all of the mass in the universe has to be just right. When you take a look at uh, mass in the universe, only 31% of the universe has any mass to it at all. Uh, 80% of that mass is what they call dark matter, so they don't even know how to test it. They just know that it's there. It has weight, it has properties, it impacts other things. Only 6% of the universe consists of stars, galaxies, dust, and gas. By the way, most of the scientists I was reading are made up mostly of gas. (laughs) What are the chances that the mass density of the universe would be just right? One in 10 to the 60th. It says six here, but 10 to the 60th. Pretty amazing. They had uh, sci-fi magazine If I were to ask you, uh, once again, Jay Werner Wallace, if you could hit this target, um, there's a few of you in here who would say, yeah, I think I could hit that target, right? Give me an accurate 22. Who in here thinks they could hit that target? All right, there we are, yeah, we got some hunters, some guys that are like, man, I could do it right now. Hold that in front of your face. (laughs) Two inch target, but actually, this isn't it. This size target, all right, but you would have to remove it and keep removing it to the edge of the observable universe. You have one shot with a 22 from a moving earth at any time during the year, you can pull the trigger. Okay. doesn't matter what cycle you're on spinning, you're going around the sun, but you have one shot. You have a greater chance of hitting this target the first time from the edge of the observable universe than getting this right the first time. The mass of the universe. That's a shocker. But remember, lucky chance. We just snapped together. It was awesome. <laughs> Third one. What are the chances that a quark, the mass associated with the particles in the nucleus of an atom. Basically, we used to think that, the, that an atom was the smallest structure and then they begin to look at uh, protons and all these other little tiny things that are inside there, and they found basically another universe inside there, at least Marvel uh, Comics did. (laughs) And you're able to go down into this place, and they have all of these things that are jumping around inside there, but those little materials have great significance. If they don't have just the appropriate weight, atoms don't stick together. So God makes you out of some dust, and you would just disappear. No, there wouldn't be any dust. There wouldn't be any atomic structures. There wouldn't be anything in the universe. Nothing could hold together unless this mass is just right. What are the chances that a quark's mass would be just right the first time? Well, it's 1 in 10 to the 35. It would be like you go into Vegas, all right? And you ask the dealer, deal you a hand. You got a seven. Hang on here not cheating. A king, queen. What are the chances that you pull this out and you get two pair? Pretty good. But then you pull it out and you take a look at the house and the house has a royal flush. They flip over their top card. It's all kings, queens, queens, all the way down, hearts, king, ace, king, queen, jack, 10. What are the chances of that? Well, that's was pretty small. Now imagine that you do it again. You say, all right, I'm going to bet the house this time. I got two pair and the house gets a royal flush again. Well, at some point you're going to look at them and say, I feel like somebody's messing with this. I think the mob might own, <laughs> might own the business. But you say, this can't happen again, right? Cause I'm committed. So you do it again. Once again, you get, you get three of a kind. Oh man, the whole ranch is going in, everything that I own. The house gets a royal flush. Again, and again, and again. If you're committed to the atheist worldview, you have to sit there 12 times in a row betting everything, and your neighbors, and all of those things saying, well there's a world someplace where this happens. Yeah. 12 different times. 12 royal flushes in a row the house gets. The odds are astronomical. There's a greater chance of somebody getting 12 royal flushes in a row than there is of this just forming on its own. In fact, what are the chances that two of the cosmological constants would just pop into existence? Um, Roger Penrose, uh, who isn't known for his faith, by the way. Just a mathematician, scientist, physicist. Well, the chances two of the cosmological constants, not all 30, would just pop into existence. It's one in a hundred million, trillion, 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 trillion. In fact, he says it this way. If we combined all of the laws that must be fine-tuned, we couldn't even write that number in full because it would contain more zeros than the number of elementary particles in the universe there's no chance. It says that faith is a sudden realization of what is hoped for. And the proof, it grabs you by the chin and says, you've got to pay attention to this. And the first test is by faith, we understand the universe was created by God. Why? Science Magazine says it's pretty obvious to us that everything popped into existence. We don't know how it happened. All 30 of these forces are right there. The universe is functioning and capable and able to create matter. Do whatever you will with the age of the universe. That right there is an admission that something crazy is happening. You know what their answer is? There's a universe generator out there somewhere pumping out millions of universes every day. And this this is literally what they're saying. Insert gurgly, bubbling noises there and universes are popping out a million of them a day, for all of eternity. And they said, it just seems to reason that one of those universes generated by this universe generator is a viable universe. It's the one that we're living in. And lucky us, we're in it. You wanna know what they call that? That's metaphysics, because it's untestable. It's beyond physics. And I'm gonna to say to those folks, they had to leave that to the theologians. God says, I created the universe. And the first test is you're going to have this shocking awareness. You know what? It's reasonable to believe that he did that. And it's forcing me to change my direction. But he goes on. Verse 6, It says, now without faith it's impossible to please God since the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists and he rewards those who seek him. Second thing that it says is not only are you going to have this apprehension of reality and it's gonna draw you in and force you to understand it, but it says, without faith, you go the wrong direction. With faith, your heart gets set on the right reward. He gives us two groups. Um, He gives us those that lived well and those that died well. And by lived well, I want you to hear the names. It's Noah that's there. If you've read the story of Noah, you know when he gets off of the ark, he has a big mistake. Abraham is one of those that lives well. If you know the story of Abraham, you know that once he hears, and actually has this statement made to him that Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness, but right after that moment, big mistake. Moses carrying all of the people of Israel forward saying this is what God wants and all of them are following this great leader But as he comes to the near end of his time, big mistakes. This chapter is not highlighting their mistakes, it's highlighting their God. I think one of the reasons that scripture highlights the mistakes and failures of average men is that you and I could never live up to another perfect example, amen? Amen. We can't. There's nobody in here that is mistake free. There's nobody in here that is sin free. In your Christian life, you have still done some things that you're going to look at God and say, man, I'm really sorry about that. He's not talking about perfection, but he says, they focused their eyes on God and in all of the mess that they made of their life, their eyes were fixed on him and God saw them safely home. They lived well. God worked with the mess that is their life and made something beautiful out of it that others will look at and say, man, I wish I could see something like that in my day. Two groups, one that lived well, others that died well. That group starts with Samson. Samson, Barak, Jephthah, David, Samuel. He gives a list of names of people. If you go back and you look at their storyline, you say, well wait, didn't Samson make a mess of his life? And he died young because he wasn't faithful. Well, he died in the end with his eyes focused on the Lord rather than himself. Not his eyes, his heart. Those of you that know the story will grab that. He was focused on the Lord. 14 different ways to live estranged from the world but right with God. The common denominator was they were focused on a real eternity. They were focused on the Lord and not themselves, And they believed that what the Lord had with him is greater than what they had alone. Pastor Marvin Wyans talks about uh, growing up. And uh, for any of you that listen to gospel, B.B. and C.C. Wyans were a big uh, name for a long time. This is the older brother. He became a pastor. And he talks about what it was like going on trips with their dad who instilled faith in all of them. And they were doing one trip across uh, the U.S. They were going from place to place just to encourage some other friends. Uh, And he said, my younger brother did something. He said that I've always been impacted by. He said at the very beginning, we would stop for a place and, and dad said, hey, you can, you know, pick a meal. He said he wasn't uh, that generous, but when it came to mealtime, uh, we could pick whatever we wanted. Uh, and we would all try to pick stuff, but we weren't used to picking things off of a menu or picking off of the kids' menu. But my little brother did something that was brilliant. He looked at his dad and said, I'll have whatever dad's having. <laughs> and sure enough, he said whatever dad had was a pretty amazing mess and it came with dessert. He said all of us by the end were trying to say I'll have what dad's having. Why? Because whatever dad was having was the best thing that you could have on the plate. And as long as dad said yes, and he did, that was the best choice. Have you ever picked your food and then saw what somebody else was getting out of the, out of the shop? You're looking in the back and you're going, Oh man, I wish I'd have bought that. Not this boy. He said I'll have whatever dad's having and dad's having the best. What does faith set your heart on? It sets your heart on the right reward. And who is the giver of the reward? The Lord. You're saying, Lord, I'm going to have whatever you give me. I'm going to trust that you have the best plan. I'm going to trust that it's going to work out because you have set these things in motion. Faith sets your heart on the right reward. You know, the early Christians impacted uh, the world, not because of little things that they were doing, but when a crisis came. I want you to hear this. In a crisis, those who had their hearts set on the right reward acted so differently from the world that the world began to take note. A man famously called Julian the Apostate was really irritated with this view and he said, we're losing to Christians. He says, not because they're superior. And he was irritated. He's like, we're better than them in almost every way. He says, but now that this Virus is sweeping through, and there was a plague that was there, and people are dying. He says, All of us pagans are running. We're running for the hills. We're leaving our sick family behind. He says, But the Christians take care of our families as if they were their own. They bury our dead as if they were family, and they carry their dead as if in triumph, not afraid of death, but rejoicing that there's something more. He said, everyone's looking at the way that they're facing a crisis and the way that we're facing a crisis without hope, without a future, only filled with concern. And Christianity won the day. Why? Because their faith had set their heart on the right reward. This earth is passing away, folks. We are too. Someday it ends. I'm sorry if you were not aware of that. <laughs> it ends. God does do beautiful things. There is, for some, healing for today. But that's like saying we're excited to stay in the womb forever if we stay here on earth. Birth is better. Being in the arms of a loving God. Having whatever it is that he has for us next. This is a short season and a great blessing. Do you believe it? And he says one last thing here. He says, and what more can I say? I want you to hear this. Verse 32, what more can I say? Time is too short for me. By the way, uh, he must have been preaching this sermon because that's the same thing I'm running into right now. Time is too short for me to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets who by faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the raging fire escaped the edge of the sword, gained strength and weakness, became mighty in battle, put foreign armies to flight. Women received their dead, raised to life again. Other people were tortured, not accepting release so that they might gain a better resurrection. Others experienced mockings and scourgings, as well as bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, sawn in two. They died by the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins, in goatskins, destitute, afflicted, mistreated. The world is not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and on mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. All of these were approved through their faith, but they did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us so that they would not be made perfect without us. What is he saying? Look at all this mess that those folks had to go through and they were hanging on to something that was far beyond their experience in the moment. And they hung on and they clung to that in faith knowing that someday we would hear of Christ, but do you know that we still have not received that perfect someday? God is gonna make all things new. That's what scripture declares. The same God that, popped everything into existence, is gonna someday take care of eternity. Do you believe it? Faith is that sudden awareness, this is probably true, and it grabs you by the chin, and it begins to say, you gotta deal with this, and it begins to make changes in your life, and no matter what hardship you face, you walk through those things confident because of the one who's holding your hand. Now, he doesn't do a real good sales job here at the end. Bonds, tortured, walking around in sheepskins, sawn in two, that's not an advertisement for fun, okay? They haven't put that on Disneyland. <laughs> but do you know that for some people even in our world, those die-hard followers of climbing, mountain biking, right, long trekking, they will tell you this is not a job for somebody who's weak-hearted. And they welcome you in with the hardship. Christianity is pinning all of its hope and all of its direction on a living God that says, I'm going to see you safely home. You stay with this. Glorify me now. You will see the reason in eternity. Eternal life starts right now. It's not a guarantee that you're going to experience those things, but it gives meaning to those who have experienced such hardship. There's a message. I just had read from uh, somebody else and it was closed out this way and I thought it was helpful. A reminder of uh, William Borden. I think we have a picture up on the screen here. We've seen this picture before. Cool hairdo, (laughs) young guy, uh, an evangelist. By the way, he looks a little bit like Reed Saunders. Yeah, you could tell him. No reserves, no retreats, no regrets. That was written in his Bible. He was young, under 25 years old, when he had felt the, the call into ministry. Refused to receive the millions that his family had. He wouldn't even buy himself a car. Gave away hundreds of thousands of dollars to missions. Um, finally decides, I have to go. And he saw all of this hardship that was happening in a, uh, an area in Cairo. Uh, so he goes there to study. Uh, their language he wants to be fluent in Arabic so that he can talk to them in their language and he goes uh, to study to share the gospel but also to help with the brokenness that was there all of this poverty and all of these needs he says I want to reach in answer those needs but share the truth of Christ with these folks and after four months there on the field four months training and learning the language he contracts uh, meningitis spinal meningitis and he dies Final moments in his Bible, he had written that last phrase, no regrets. Someone says this, we went to this location and on his tombstone in Cairo, there's a brief description of all the sacrifices for the kingdom of God and for the Muslim people. And it's followed at the very end with this simple phrase, apart from faith in Christ, there's no explanation for such a life. What's going to be said of you? Here's the question I have for you. For some of you in the room, you have been just curious on the outside looking in. You've been listening to these things about Christ and you've had this curiosity from a distance, but is it possible that maybe even this morning, the truth about God is becoming clear to you and it's grabbing you by the chin and it's saying, you've got to do business with this. And it's actually calling you to say, you need to let go of that direction and you need to reorient your life around this truth. If that's the case, this is what scripture says. Christ died for you, was buried, and rose again on the third day. And if you put your faith in him, if all you say is, I believe that, he'll move inside and take care of the rest, amen? Amen. He'll take care of the rest, but you put your faith in him. For others, you've been wandering and you've already been a believer, but you have not been measuring your life by God's standards. You've been measuring your life by other people's statements and it's left you feeling overwhelmed. You're just as depressed and overwhelmed and discouraged as the world. This is what I would say. Run back to that faith that first grabbed you. Yield to the truth of scripture. Respond to the call of Christ who says today, I'll clean up all of that mess. You come to me, confess that stuff that you've been mucking around in. I'll not only cleanse you from that sin, I'll clean up all the unrighteousness around it. I'll set your feet in the right place and restore that hope. A joy in this life that carries on into the next. If you're coming in here and it's just been all rights and green lights in your spiritual life, you're loving the Lord, you're feeling his pleasure, this is what I'm gonna ask you to do. Look for those other two folks and bless somebody on your way out, amen? Amen. But each one of us has something to consider as we go. Have you put your whole case in his hand? Have you realized who he is? Will you yield to him today? That's what Hebrews chapter 11 is asking us to consider. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would help us. Help us this morning to put our whole case in your hands. I do pray, Father, that you would help us to yield to that idea that faith is a sudden realization of what is true, not a manufacturing of what is true, not coming up with our own truth or a way to wrap our minds around it. It's a realization of what is right in front of us. You, the creator of the universe, not only created all things, but you put in us the ability to understand that. To feel a call from you and to respond. Father, I pray this morning you would help us to respond. To turn our eyes to you. To let go of whatever is holding us back. To chase strong after you in faith. Help us to yield to what is true. And to share that with others. We pray you'd enable that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.